I'm Darren Garrihy, and you're listening to The Laughs of Your Life, the podcast where I talk to influential people about laughter. From their first memories of laughter, to feeling laughed at, to their, if I didn't laugh, I'd cry moments. Would you give me a sign? Do you know one of those moments? Look could I just have a sign? You know, that I'm meant to be doing this. And I, then I put my hand out that I better go back to the hotel, and I put my hand out to get a taxi, and I whacked somebody I, I hit no. somebody and I said oh Jesus I'm very sorry and it was Billy Connolly Comedian and actress Deirdre O'Kane is my guest this week she tells me about nearly throwing in the stand-up towel handing out flyers with Seth Myers, and how even when tragedy strikes a sold-out Vicar Street show must go on I hope you enjoy Deirdre O'Kane That's me You are very welcome Deirdre Garrahy To the laughs of your life Thank you Delighted we kind to be of morphed into the same person there for a second. Well, let's, we, if our, that would be our ambition. By the end, we would sound identical. They won't be able to tell who's asking the questions and who's the idiot. I think we couldn't be sitting in a more kind of apt place. Waxperts, I believe it's called. Waxperts Wax out in Dunleary. So I put up an Insta story the other day because you had said, could we do this in Dunleary? Because you're. Yes, uh, and thank you for coming out to but me. But you're a busy working mother and you need to be able to juggle a lot of things. So I said, no bother. At least I like to put that idea out there, you know. <laughs> it's all about. I wouldn't like anyone to think I was being idle, you know, <laughs> twiddling the thumbs. So uh, I put an Insta story up saying, anyone know any space? And my friend Ellen, who runs Waxperts, said, come on into the salon. And so Shane we could here. do a little podcast and get a bit of wax for ourselves. Are you going for the Hollywood or what are you thinking? Have you ever had a Hollywood, have you? Awful Never. looking yoke. Awful <laughs> looking yoke. Not good. Not good. A lot of them are not good. Really? Yeah. Why? You can't yeah. say that. Anyway, to look at I don't care now if I'm hairy till I die. I'm over it all. I've gone back to the razors. I couldn't give a feck. <laughs> Shane here was like, um, Shane here who's on sound, was like, are we going to hear screams in the background? But no, this is the Academy. So this is where they, they do the training. People, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. There anyway. should be real screams here, so they're only learning. <laughs> L-plate people trying to get the wax. So before we started recording, you said that you found some of these questions difficult. Well, I, I think the, there's a question there you had about your first memory of laughter. And yeah. I have a shocking memory to the point where I think there's something <laughs> traumatic happened to me in my childhood. And, and you're I, blocking I it out. I into some kind of denial about the whole thing. I have people go, and what do you remember? And I'm thinking... Nothing. Um, <laughs> I was out there with Pat Short recently. He said, do you remember the great time we had in Port Leash? And I'm thinking, were we in Port Leash? What, what are you talking about? What town? When? Just I think I out. just moved forward. Yeah, no, that's good. Forward, forward. <laughs> you don't dwell on the past. Well, I mean, you know, look, at you do so many interviews, don't you, as, mm. a, as a performer and as a comic that you end up having to look back and talk about these things. It's incredibly indulgent and also useful, I think, because it's quite therapeutic. So then, it and it, you do drag stuff up, but... Okay, well, we'll start there. Deirdre O'Kane, your first memory of laughter. Yeah, I don't think I have one. <laughs> you have to. <laughs> I thought you were going to say... I mean, I, d- I don't remember a specific, you know, moment of going, oh, this is what the laughter is all about now. Um, I came from a funny house. Yes. You know, I think people probably all are very disappointed when they meet me because my siblings are much funnier than me. Really? Oh, God, yeah. Everybody goes on a bit, Liz, my sister, Liz, 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 gas, it's a dream, are hilarious. And then five minutes in, they're thinking, oh, there's no crack out of you at all. <laughs> Jesus, very disappointing. So I think, and my mother's funny, you know, she's yeah. just naturally funny. So there was always cracked pet. I just, I do remember, I think, 
I do think I remember realising at a certain point that our house was a funny house. Because when I brought people there, I think they went, oh, Jesus, this is a bit mad. There's a lot of there's a lot of action here. (laughs) There was seven in the house uh, and one of five and it was noisy. Where do you come? I come forth, second youngest. Right. Um, What else? But there was a lot of there was laughter. Uh, there was laughter in the house, definitely, but uh, I just not a standout moment. My first memory of making people laugh was definitely at school because I used to do impressions, a bit like yourself, and that was <laughs> the start of, you know. Of other people in the class or of the teachers or what? I would impersonate teachers, priests, anyone whose voice I could get, basically. Yeah. And I just, yeah, I did that. And that was, I probably did that from... Yeah, probably from first year, from my 12, 13 on, I'd say. And did you always want to perform in some capacity? I wanted to be an actress. Yeah. yeah. But I don't know what was behind that. There was no uh, practicality. Like, there was no, are you any good at it? I think it was just the idea of a glamorous life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll do that. A star. Yeah, that'll suit me. That'll suit me down to the ground. <laughs> so there's absolutely nothing practical attached to it whatsoever. And and did you, so did you perform then when you were in school? Did you do plays or did you do Oh, drama? I did, yeah. And I think my, my drama teacher was a huge influence and it was a very musical school. It was, you know, there was a musical every three years. I mean, I did a musical, I did The Boyfriend when I was doing my leaving search in sixth year. Could you imagine the leaving search now doing a musical? I know, lads, now you have the leaving search coming up. What we'll do is we'll do a, we'll do a play and, <laughs> and you can just relax for yourselves. <laughs> Do you know, like sure, that, that just wouldn't happen now, would it? But then I, oh, I lived for it. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think I would have survived. I was in a boarding school. I was, I was deeply bored and I wouldn't <laughs> have survived it if we hadn't had the shows and the drama and the music. That, that was absolutely always there. And how did you get on in the exams? Like, were you, were you a school person? Oh, terribly. I, I mean, I did the basics. I did no work at all. It was a lazy article. <laughs> I mean, if I'd worked, <laughs> I could have done great Definitely. things. I, I think I was... I wasn't academic, I was probably average, but I certainly could have been a bit above that if I'd made any effort. My ambition was to pass. Do you know what I mean? Get the pass, get the fucking pass. Get in, get out. We try and get a C here, a bit of a B, is it for art and history and the subjects I could do, I was happy to work out, but the rest could feck off with themselves. I was so cavalier. (laughs) It was just beyond. But I think in my head, I was going to be an actress. What use was any of this to me? Yeah, totally. You know, I decided what I was doing. And what did your family think of that? Were they supportive of that? Were they like, ah, for God's sake, you have to do something else? No, I, I have to say they were supportive of that, but I only think that's because they couldn't think what else could you do. <laughs> yeah. Um, there was no point in pushing anything practical, uh, you know. And neither of my parents were uh, professionals. You know, my, my dad was a cattle dealer and he was in the farming business and my mum was a had five babies. So, you know, she was a stay-at-home mum and, I mean, she had lots of other interests and did courses to beat the band, but neither of them, you know, ran businesses my father worked for himself and I suppose that was a business but you know what I mean yeah in the the farming sense in the cattle sense so I don't know I I think I think back in the day they just thought well you're nice looking and you'll probably find a nice man for yourself (laughs) do you know that wasn't said but I think that was probably (laughs) they're like she'll be all right they'll be grand they're all all right looking to a bit of personality you know but it goes they a long way. They weren't pushing careers in the way that I'd be looking at my daughter now really? trying to identify talents and what do you like and desperately trying to think, Yeah, you will need to earn, you will need to work. That certainly wasn't 
imposed. No. On us. Okay. So, uh, so, and I guess that worked in my favor because they didn't have anything against me. They never said, oh, that's an awful career. There's no work in that, which is what they should have been saying. No, but it's good. They didn't cramp your style and sure, look where you've got. No, they didn't. They just said, make your own way, love. Good luck to you. Okay, right. Next question. The first time, Deirdre, you felt laughed at. Well, that I remember because um, I was about 11 and I was in sixth class and I had, this is not a funny story at all, quite sad, uh, but I had, a, I had a best friend, we'll call her Lucy. Right. <laughs> I won't put the real name out there, but she actually was in the year below me mm. and um, had other friends in her class. But outside of school, you know, we lived nearby and we were very close and coming up to Christmas, we used to get a bus to school and... Um, it was about a 10 mile journey or something. And then there was just this coming up to Christmas. All of her friends, the girls that were in her class, were all said, oh, Lucy's after getting you an amazing present for Christmas. All this. And I kind of flew into a panic, as you do as a child, because yeah. you think, oh, OK, I better get her something amazing then. Yeah. And I went off to Woolworths and I remember buying an amazing imperial leather talc set oh, wow, or something really? like that. <laughs> You know yourself. The two quid, I think it was. That was fancy. Like it was in a box. And anyway. In a box. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. In a, bo- a box set, like. <laughs> and um, like then, the kind of three for two jobby you'd see in booths there was now. No three Christmas. for two back then. Everything cost money. Those bargains only came lately, I think. <laughs> so I bought that and it was all wrapped up and I was quite excited at the idea of giving it to her. And I remember then I handed it to her and there was a bit of ooh and ah. And then I was given the present and it was a secondhand notebook from her house that I recognised and a pen of her dad's and something else. And they were all having a good laugh, all the friends. And I had been set up, you know, and it was so hurtful. And I remember them laughing their heads off at me opening these things. And it was just, it was a real mean girls situation. When I think back on it, like what an awful thing to do. And what was was the vendetta? I just, I don't know. I think it was a very defining moment. I mean, we were never friends again. Really? I mean, ironically, I mean, I was in sixth class, so I was moving on to a different school. Yeah. Um, but I always remember years later, you know, meeting her mom and saying, you never see each other, you never call. And I, and I did have a kind of steely, you've crossed me now, you're dead to me. Really? I think I remember, I do remember that feeling and I do remember thinking for years, anyone who crosses me, that's it. Curtains. It's, it's hard to come back from that. To, to forgive. Yeah, I mean, at, you that, know, age at that age, yeah. at that age, it that's it's a, it's a strong memory. You know, you remember humiliation. Yeah. Public humiliation. I now have a master's in public humiliation <laughs> because I became a comic. <laughs> so, uh, but back then I had no training at all as you don't. Do you think it's it a horrible you? thing? Did hmm? that, do you think it stood to you that that happened? I don't. I, I just think it was a mean thing. You know, I, I, I can't say that that was. It made you stronger. Because it didn't, uh, it didn't make me stronger. You know, it just made me very aware. I've imparted that story to my daughter. You know, if, if, if it's been useful, then I can say it, I suppose it has in that sense that I've said to her, you know, people can be really mean and you just avoid those people. Yeah. You don't have to be nasty to them. You don't have to fight with them you just keep your distance it's the same with any people with tricky personalities I'm always saying to her some people are just tricky you know just give them a wide berth yeah find your own tribe find the people who think you're great and stick with them you know? yeah I like that answer because 
for the most part with my guests so far, it has been the moment where they felt laughed at. They have gone on to be like, but it was great because it made me it made me stronger. Or it made me realize who my friends are, blah, blah, blah. But you're, I like that you're just kind of like, no, actually, it's really it's kind of a shit thing. No, to happen. it's a really shit thing to happen. And uh, and it stays with you for such a long time. Yeah. I clung to it, but I, I think I used to say to people, oh, you know, you can't, don't cross me. Like, I am as tough as nails and I'm not. I'm a, actually a very soft person. Yeah. So, but I don't like, I, I, do you know what? I think what stood out for me the most was that it was the first time I'd encountered real meanness. I thought, wow, some people are have a nasty streak in them. You know, and you just, you, I guess you discover that mm-hmm. in life. You know, you don't know it. Okay, Deirdre. The moment where if you didn't laugh, you'd cry. I have loads of those. Do you? I mean, uh, I just have so many. I don't know where to begin. <laughs> tell us any. Uh, tell us any amount. Um, there was a couple of stories that sprang to mind. Um, uh, prob- probably they all actually relate to incredibly tough stand-up comedy uh, moments mm-hmm. and one of them there were, there were two standout ones I'll tell you the one that was uh, in Montreal we I remember we were invited to go to Montreal Comedy Festival as a, a group four of us to do a, an O Comics show I think it was Daryl Breen Ardlo Hanlon Deirdre O'Kane and somebody else O <laughs> <laughs> all the O's the O Comics do you get it Deirdre oh look at they were up all night so anyway this was a huge deal I mean Montreal back then when you were a comic like if you got asked to Montreal you were basically the idea was that you were going to be spotted and you were going to get your own sitcom and you could live happily ever after perfect and of course these things do not <laughs> work out like that but but off we went to Montreal and we arrived and we discovered that our two shows were on Monday night and Tuesday night. Nobody goes out to stand up of a Monday <laughs> or a Tuesday. And this audience that was half made up of French speaking people who hadn't a feckin notion what we were on about. And we struggled. I mean, my God, they were hard shows, oh. really hard. And of course you do what you do after tough shows, go to the bar and get locked <laughs> to try and block out the pain. Ease the pain, yeah. Ease the pain. And then we did the second show and it was brutal. Absolutely awful. Back to the back to the bar again. But when we went back to the hotel, we realized that this festival was really only starting on the Wednesday. Right. For some reason, these were like pre-shows and the big shows were kicking off on Wednesday and all of the stars, Chris Rock and all these people were checking into our hotel because everybody stayed in the same hotel and we were checking out. The Paddies were going home. <laughs> We'd done one day on Tuesday. We'd flown the whole feckin' way to Montreal to die in our arses <laughs> and watch these fabulous big comics arrive that I wasn't even going to get to meet or hang out with. I was like, and now I am a party girl. I'm the last to leave every party. Yeah. So this is like... The double insult. Not only can you die in your arse here, we're going to send you home and not let you have any crack with when anyone. When the party's starting. When the party is starting. Well, I tell you what, I went into that bar and I drank myself into a right stupor because I was raging. Do you know, drinking with rage. <laughs> you blown us all the way out here for fuck all. <laughs> we just got hammered. Uh, <laughs> all of the you are just you. Well, probably just me. <laughs> I was the most irate, I think. I think the rest of them kind of chilled about it, but I was not able for not being able to meet some of these people whom I loved and admired. You know, I was looking at these 
comic actors coming in. Whoopi Goldberg was there. I mean, Stop. I was just dying to be their friend. Oh my God, like <laughs> thinking, massive names. But if I could stay here, they would love me. I'm <laughs> yeah. great company. Presuming they'd be your friends. Like of course, you right. Win them all over. We'd all be having the sing song in the morning. Uh, but no, Paddy's have to go home. So, uh, <laughs> so I got really, uh, really drunk. And then the next day, we were leaving and at the case packed and I was dying. I'm just dying. And I had a little case at the desk and I thought, what will I do? I had about three hours to kill before we went to the airport. And I was really miserable because Edinburgh was about to start. And yeah. the Edinburgh Festival is huge for every comic. You have to get your hour ready. An hour of material is a lot of yeah. material. I'd worked my hours off on a but I had no ending to the show. And I was actually in a panic. I was trying to write the end and I didn't have one. And it was starting a couple of days time. And honestly, I just wanted to give it all up. I just thought this is horrific. I can't do this. I can't do this job anymore. I'm going to give it up. So I went downtown Montreal and I thought I'll buy shoes. Shoes will heal me. As you do. I just thought just buy something. And you know, there's always lovely shoes in other countries. Yes. <laughs> could yes. never find the right shoes in Ireland. So true. No, other countries. Shoes, uh, other countries do shoes. So um, <laughs> downtown Montreal, searching for shoes. I couldn't fine shoes which was now beginning to really upset me because I thought that would fix me and I was literally walking down the street having one of these moments where you go I cannot do this anymore I cannot do stand-up anymore it is too hard and I'm giving it up and I was having a kind of a I can't face a month of Edinburgh with no ending and I did I, I actually did a could you give me a sign do you know one of those moments <laughs> could I just have a sign you know, that I'm meant to be doing this. And I, then I put my hand out that I better go back to the hotel. And I put my hand out to get a taxi and I whacked somebody. I, I hit no. somebody and I said, oh, Jesus, I'm very sorry. And it was Billy Conley. You're was joking. Billy Conley. You're joking. No, it was Billy Conley. And I said, oh, Jesus, what are you doing here? I remember I didn't even say hello. That just, what are you doing here? And he can laugh. And he said, well, I could ask the same question of you. <laughs> <laughs> and we got into a little chat and he said, I'm here to make a film. I'm shooting up the road. I said, all right. And he said, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm a fucking comedian. I'm here for just for laughs. Bloody festival. They find me funny as F all here. I said, anyway, it doesn't matter. I'm going home to become an accountant. I've given this up. I can't do it anymore. I can't bloody bear it. And we got into this long chat, the two of us. On the side of the road. He, yeah, on the side of the road. And then I got into the taxi and I just found this hilarious that I was looking for a sign and I bumped into Billy Connolly. So I thought, well, that's good. I felt better about myself. And I backed the hotel to get the taxi to the airport and I was telling the others about Billy Connolly and they said, she's hallucinating. They didn't even believe me. Stop. They refused to believe me. <laughs> and then we went out to the airport and we were standing in line with our tickets and Billy Connolly was ahead of me in the queue for the plane. You're and he turns around to me and he goes, oh, you're stalking me now, are you? And we had this laugh and the others were going, she's no Billy Connolly and she's talking to Billy Connolly. <laughs> and of course, me and Billy Connolly became best friends and walked all the way down to the plane together until he went into first class and I went down the back. Yeah. <laughs> down in steerage, as my dad Down in the steerage. And I remember saying to him, I said, if this plane goes down, I said, I will not get a mention. You will be up the front there. But who was the singer? Do you remember your man who sang La Bamba? Uh, who died down the back of the plane. The, the, do you remember the kid who sang the song Ba Ba La Bamba? Oh yeah. He died on the plane. 
with the fella who was famous who was up the front. Stop. God, you don't know this story, Who was story, the famous you? person? Because you're too young. You were too young. So young. Oh my God, I can't believe it. Now, this is what I mean about the memory. Look, the memory right, is a okay. problem. Um, okay. But a famous person died on a flight. And the other he lad. was up the front and poor old Labamba was down the back. That's the belt and I song. said to Billy Connolly, oh, I won't get a mention if the plane goes down. You'll all be about Billy Connolly. I'll be the little rookie comic down the back. I won't get a fucking mention. <laughs> and anyway, whatever I said, anyway, um, he laughed and I said, that was the first laugh I got oh, in Montreal. God. And I used the story as my ending to my Edinburgh Stop. show. So you actually incorporated it. I did, I did, of course, and I embellished it and did all kinds of things. <laughs> <laughs> but at it. least I had an ending and I suppose, uh, you know, yes. And so. how was Edinburgh in the end that year? Good. I think it was a good year. Yeah, I think it was a good year because my, the others, I had another story, but uh, should we be here till dawn? No, go on. Well, it was, a, <laughs> it was, it was a, another, if you didn't laugh, you'd cry. I mean, that was yes. a classic one. And the other one was, I, I went to Edinburgh one year and I did two shows because I am thick and I didn't get that that would be a stupid idea and I didn't listen to people. So I did two shows back to back. I did a double act show with Tara Flynn called Tis Pity She's Anonymous. What a title. So catchy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So catchy. People would not come and review it. And then I had a 15 minute turnaround and I did Dear Joe Kane is Crystallized, my solo show. Yeah. And it was an Edinburgh from hell. I mean, oh, my God, you've no idea what it is like to play to seven people, eight Stop. people and you're out flying every night and there's 10,000 shows in this town and you're trying to find an audience. I don't know how people do it. I did how? it for seven years, yeah. but uh, I, I it's a young man's game. I couldn't do it now. Um, but anyway, I was flying every night. And you know who I was flying with? Seth Myers. You know, Seth yeah. Myers who has the chat show. Yeah. Me and Seth walking up and down the Gilded Balloon with our flyers every night going, someday, Seth, says I, someday. And someday has happened. And Seth has a lovely career. <laughs> <laughs> For himself. Oh but anyway, God. it was a really shit Edinburgh. And I had another moment of, I can't, I cannot do this. I am going to get a job. <laughs> a proper job. And then I went to see Owen O'Neill. It was my last night. Yeah. I wasn't performing. And Owen O'Neill is a comic that I have always adored and admired. I don't know if you know his work, but he did a lot of one man shows. And he did a show up in the assembly rooms called It Was Henry Fonda's Fault. And the whole hour is about a trip to Los Angeles where he did a one man show where they begged him to come out to L.A. And he got no audience for the entire month. He would arrive at the venue and nobody would turn up. And he would just arrive every day. He refused to not arrive every day. And he would turn up and nobody would turn up to see the show. And he would sit there for the hour Stop. because he thought, I am sitting here for the hour. And he made it. I I laughed and cried and laughed and cried because I was that person. Yeah. I had just done a month of hell. And um, how does that not? And I could have given up, but Owen's show absolutely inspired me. I just thought, my God, you made something that was so brutal, you know, into a funny show, and it was really, you know, an inspire. It was a moment, you know. He he made me keep going. In terms of writing stand up shows, I've I've always I've never actually spoken to anyone who does stand up about how you go about writing it or how you go about coming up with the ideas. Yeah, and I think everybody has a different process. What's yours? 
Um, well, I now have a process. <laughs> I didn't used to. <laughs> I used to just wing it. <laughs> Did you? Well, I didn't wing it as in improvise and make no. it up on the spot. But you I just sort of wrote you... bits yeah. every now and again and sort of stuck them together. It was quite lazy, really. Now I just put the hours in. I put in four hours and if I have to write, sit there for four hours and nothing comes, I am sitting there putting those hours in. I do not care. Whereas you see, I think back in the day I used to, I can't write at home because I can only see the dirt and all the things that have to be done. <laughs> so if you, if you can see things that have to be done, you will not sit there for no, four hours and no. go into your head. So so now I have to go to coffee shops, although I've recently just bought a shed. I imagine. Oh, my I'm, God. I'm over 50 before I got my own writing shed. I met Kevin Gildee in the street the other day, a fellow fellow comedian who lives in Delirious said, Kevin, I'm after buying a writing shed. And he howled, oh, you're right now, all right, you have the shed. <laughs> all comics think if they have a space, man, yeah, they'll yeah. be able to write, you. Yeah. <laughs> you can bloody well write on the back of a beer mat if you want to, you know. <laughs> anyway. Oh, so you have the shed anyway. Anyway, I have a process, which is that I put in the hours. Yes. And, uh, day after day after day. And it, it works. It does. It does work. And on days where nothing's coming to you, what do you do? Go up and go for a walk? Or walk? No, well, yeah, well, I walk and I listen to music, but I, those hours have to be put in. I don't actually count the walk. No, I think I have to sit. What if something comes to you when you're, sorry, I'm going into this a lot, but I really want to know. What if something comes to you when you're out and about? Do you go, need to jot that down? I never do. I always think I'll remember it. And I, I don't never do. bloody I remember it. I know that feeling. Very occasionally I've written stuff down, but it's just not the way I work. I no. don't, I don't. I like to just have a laugh and not be thinking about writing it down, you know, yeah. which is maybe foolish. I don't know, but. No, you have your method and it works. Okay. Mm. You're no laughing matter moment, Deirdre. Yeah, that's a hard question. What is the que- what is the que- what does it mean? Basically a moment in your life where shit hit the fan and you're like this is serious. Um I have a very big one but I can't talk about it at the moment. Um So that's not what used to is it. <laughs> I'm like, right. Uh I'll just get my notes no, next no, question. But I have uh, I've I've probably had just so much shit in the last 5 years. A lot of ill health in my family and my dad died this year and just so much hard stuff going on. But I guess what strikes me in terms of no laughing matter is that I still have to go on stage no matter what my position. And I have been on stage in really drastic circumstances. And kind of wondered afterwards how in God's name and every comic goes through this. But, you know, I remember having a phone call with my husband where we, you know, we had just discovered that his sister was going to die and, and you know, soon. And he didn't realize that I was going to walk on stage five minutes later. And I had to take the call because we were waiting for that news. But I did walk on stage five minutes later and you just do. And it's your job. Um but I think that's an amazing thing. And it, it's it's not, I think recently I discovered the, a power in it. Um, I had a particularly exceptional circumstances where I literally left somebody who was very close to me in a very sick in hospital and got into my own car and drove myself to Vicar Street and, you know, entertained a thousand people while I was in a bit of a state. And, but afterwards... I felt really liberated. I felt very empowered. I thought, well, Jesus Christ, if you can do that, you can yeah. do bloody anything. It was, in fact, the reason that I started Comic Relief, because I had a conversation very shortly afterwards with Darren Smith. And I was just in one of those, I'll fuck it all and fuck life. And it's very hard and it doesn't matter. And I still went down and told the joke. So what do you want me to do? 
Start camera clip. Fine, fine. Sure, we might as well try and save the world while we're at it. It's not about me after all. <laughs> Do you know? Because that's that's yes. how you get. You get a bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're all going to die. There's none of us getting out of here alive. So we might as well try and contribute something, dear. dear. <laughs> Let's sell out you the might fucking well tree and save a life. <laughs> so you say yes, and then you get down to it and go, "Why the fuck did I agree to do this?" <laughs> Oh my god! Such drastic emotions. <laughs> but that's the way. That's how you get shit done. I do think that's that's true. When you get well, into those sometimes moments. you're in a kind of uh, I'll get. <laughs> Just might as well do it then. <laughs> and you know, good stuff can come out of it. Absolutely. Well, yes, I was at the three arena gig there on Paddy's day. Yes, thank you. Deadly for buying the ticket. Absolutely deadly. Okay, right. The person you always laugh with, Deirdre. Uh, I have a few. I have a few. My best friend D is, um, we, we laugh a lot together. We were, we were in school together. So I think she came to the school when she was about 14. And, um, I just left County Clare with her now. We spent the weekend trying, you, trying to get rid of a sofa. And she was trying to persuade me to illegally dump this sofa. Stop. And I was going, I might be spotted doing that. Even out here in the wild. We're not doing that. Sofa in Wild Atlantic <laughs> Way. Absolutely did not illegally <laughs> dump this over. Let me make that quite clear. And I would never do such a thing. But it's herself who says me, but sure, look at the dump is closed. We were driven to Ina to the dump and the dump was fucking closed on the Monday. And here we were with a big open car and a sofa. We were desperate to get rid of and two children in the back and the wind howling and the rain. And you look, we just found ourselves cracking up. Whereabouts in Clare were you? I just, I know you were Milton in Ennis Malby and yeah. we weren't into Ennis Diamond on our way to Ina to the dump to get rid of the sofa. The glamour. <laughs> the glamour. But I mean, it, but we can make each other howl in these situations. But yeah. then there are other people whom you meet and y- you don't see very often, but you you have a little thing where you go, we make each other howl, don't we? <laughs> yeah, yes. Andrew Scott is one of those people. Uh, Andrew he, Scott, yeah. the actor. Yes. And he is, we have been friends for a long time. And every time we see we're giddy, we get very giddy, <laughs> very fast. And the next thing we're howling. <laughs> Howling, howling. So I'm always dying to see him. <laughs> so don't see enough of us. I need to see But that's probably why you laugh so much as well. I love those people who you don't need to see that much. But when you do, yeah, you're like... We just Ew. know that we can make each other. We to go to the very dark places and we make <laughs> each other scream. <laughs> so Dee and Andrew. Yes. Okay, great. Um, a time, Deirdre, where mm. you had the last laugh. Oh... Well, I think that stand up is the last laugh because anything that has anything bad that has ever happened to me, I end up telling on stage usually. And um, and I think to myself, I will make money out of this <laughs> if it kills me. <laughs> I mean, the bur- I, the one the story that I was most proud of was probably the story of when I had Holly. I really did not have a nice experience in the hospital. Uh, I had a C-section, which was all fine. And then the aftercare was a disaster. And I spent five days in the hospital and I I left really sick with blinding headaches. I didn't sleep. I'm not a good sleeper. And you definitely don't sleep in maternity hospitals. It's like Beirut with babies. There's (laughs) crying and wailing and screaming. And you are an emotional wreck. And no one gives a shit. They're just going, mind your child. And your own head is going, Jesus, get it together, love. Everyone, millions of women have had babies. Why are you falling apart? You feel like you're the first person to ever have done it. Oh, my God. It was 
carnage, absolute carnage. And I just couldn't believe it. But in the end, you know, from the very beginning, there were very, very funny things that happened. But they weren't, they're not necessarily funny at the time. And I remember going in to check into the hospital. The very first time I had, you had to register. And the girl said to me, name, <laughs> okay. address, North Circular Road, which was at the time. She said, uh, yeah. Okay, uh, occupation. And I said, comedian. And she said, you can't be that. She didn't even blink. She just said to me, you can't be that. And I said, all right, okay, why not? And she said, it's not in the system. (laughs) It's not in the system. I said, okay, what can I be then? She said, you can be an actor. (laughs) I said, great, that's what I wanted to be in the first place. (laughs) (laughs) So there was stuff like that. That happened. I remember how I remember not being able to get out of the bed after the C-section and one nurse came bounding into me with a lot of energy like a bouncy little rabbit full of the joys. And she said, Deirdre, you should get up. You need to get up and walk around. And I couldn't move. I actually couldn't move. And then I saw this one walking up and down who'd had a section at the same time as me. And I thought, oh, fuck, I'm dying. There's something wrong with me because she's up. She's up. Flying she's around. walking the corridors and I'm in the bed. And I said to the nurse, Jesus, she's walking around. I said, I can't move at all. And she said to me, well, she's in her 20s. <gasps> Stop it. And there were, this was endless. There was just absolutely Red rag to inside the bed. There was loads of this stuff. Loads. And, uh, and in the end, I wrote a routine about it that I just was so proud of that I had made something that was, I mean, those bits I'm telling you are funny, but there was <laughs> stuff in there. Oh, look at When I couldn't sleep on the third night in a row, I got a bit hysterical because I thought, Exhaustion. I'm going to get sick. Yeah, I'm going to get sick. I'm not heading up for the 60 hours of no sleep now. And I'm trying to mind a new baby because they leave the baby with you. See, back in the day, people think these things have improved. But back in the day, they took the baby at night and they fed the baby. And they said, now what you need to do, mum, is get a little sleep for yourself. And now they say, feed the child, keep it beside you all night. And for God's sake, it doesn't matter if you sleep or not. Just keep <laughs> that child alive. You don't count. And it's a bit like that. You don't count. You don't count. I wouldn't mind it was in a private bloody room. I was forgotten. I was just forgotten. Anyway, three, three, third night, I got hysterical at about three in the morning because I actually felt, do you know when you're desperate for sleep yes. and you feel physically sick? You yeah. Know, oh my God. Delirious. I'm panicking. I'm, I'm getting a headache and I thought I have to sleep. So I rang on the bell, the, the cell as I called it, the, and I said to, called in the nurse and I said to her, listen, I said, I need to sleep on top of it. I can't sleep. Now we're balling, by the way, balling. Uh, three day blues, classic textbook stuff now. Nothing out of the ordinary here. Yeah. If you look up three day blues, they'll tell you you'll be wailing from morning to night. And I was textbook hauling. And I said, Try me, please. I said, Please give me a sleeping tablet. I said, I have to sleep. I'm going to get sick. <laughs> and I said, I'm honestly, honestly, I'm panicking. And she said to me, Why are you panicking, Deirdre? Do you know that very calm, like old nun at school voice? Why are you panicking, Deirdre? I said, Well, now. Because I had surgery there uh, two days ago and I haven't slept since. We'd be coming up for the 60 hours now. I feel a bit sick. I said, I need sleep. And she said, well, the thing is, we can't give out sleeping tablets after 12 o'clock at night. (laughs) And I was just like, what? What? I said, am I in a hospital? Is this a hospital? Am I in a hospital or am I in a bad dream? She said, no, no, it's a hospital. We can't give out the sleeping tablets. I said, right. Well, I need one because I'm going to lose my mind. And she said, uh, OK, well, look, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll try to find a doctor. I said, well, God, look with that now. We are in a hospital. I hope there's a doctor <laughs> in it somewhere. She said, yeah, I'll try to find a doctor and he'll write a prescription. She had to find a doctor to Stop. write a prescription 
for a sleeping tablet, which I eventually got and uh, slept for like three hours because the hoovering and the buckum banging starts at seven. And it doesn't matter if you only got to sleep at five. Beirut is rocking it at seven o'clock in the morning. Screaming, babe, is a bit of a hoover and a polish and a clean and a bang and a whack. Nobody gives a feck if you're sleeping or resting or what. So, <laughs> and then anyway, to cut a long story short, when I was leaving on day five, I thought I'd never get out there and I, would, I had migraine headaches. I'd never suffered from a headache the whole of my life until this time. Uh, a doctor came in to me and said, oh, Deirdre, you're leaving us. Is there anything we can do for you before you go? And I'm thinking, I wish you'd done something for me while I was here. <laughs> but anyway, I said, he said, anything we can do for you before you leave? And I said, actually, yes. I said, I'm a really bad sleeper. I said, do you think it would give me a few sleeping tablets just to see me through the next few days? Yeah. And he said, oh, well, if I had my way. I'd have them taken off the market completely. And I said, would you? Would you? I said, well, you are dynamite. <laughs> I said to me, I'll tell you what, he said, have a glass of wine. <laughs> I said to him, I would never take a sleeping tablet without a glass of wine. <laughs> You know, and that is the short version of what became 20 minutes of stand-up material. But I was very pleased with myself that I turned something that was truly tough so, into so something. I love that. So stand-up is the last laugh because you, yeah. It is. You turn the bad laugh. bits I mean, into your moneymakers. No basically. audience is interested in the funny, nice things that happen to you. They couldn't no. care less. They want to know all the shit because we're all <laughs> in the shit. Could you, could you just turn it funny? Because, I mean, I used to see women who'd obviously had a very similar experience to me, just howling, crying with laughter. And every time I saw it, it purged me of that experience. You know, I felt yeah. like, huh. Yes. And it's out. It's over. Yes. Oh, my God. I love it. OK. <laughs> right. Quick fire round. Are you ready? Oh, yeah. But the brain is not what it used to be. So I'm not sure. It doesn't need to be answers. too quick. It can okay, just be a well, fire round. Well, OK. Slow round, dear Deville. Here comes a slow question round for OK. <laughs> OK. The movie that you always laugh at. Um, I very rarely watch anything uh, more than the once, but I did watch Silver Linings Playbook back to back. I saw it the first time and I watched it again the next night, which is the biggest compliment I could pay any film. And I howled, howled. I loved that film. I've yet, to see, see <gasps> I've yet to see it. Yet to see it. Now, now, it now you'll be delighted. You oh, interviewed that's... me if you only got the one thing out of it. <laughs> the great tip that is Silver Linings Playbook. Fantastic. Okay, the actor or actress that you always laugh at. Well, De Niro is in um, Silver Linings Playbook and he is a never acknowledged for his comedy and I think he's one of the funniest actors. Do alive. you? Midnight Run is a film that I have watched many times which he's hysterical in. I mean, he's just very, he's a very, very funny comic actor. What about actress? Um, probably because I loved Will and Grace so much. I mean, that show. Oh. Amazing. I used to look at those two women and think, why have you got my job? Yeah. Like, why, how did you get my job? That's my job. Karen there with her funny voice. The I voice. Mean, I just thought it was such a genius creation. Yeah. Um, and way ahead of its time, I think. Oh, my God. There were seasons. There were some seasons of that show that were just extraordinary. I yeah. remember actually falling off the sofa. <laughs> I mean, Woody Harrelson was in, in one season and uh, that other country singer. Here we go with the names. I'm going to go mad if I don't come up with the name of that guy who was on the plane, by the way, before we finish. Uh, <laughs> Harry Connick Jr. was also in that season yes. being hilarious. 
Okay, the James book. Comic actor, yeah. The book that you always laugh at, or are you a reader? I am a reader, but I don't reread, so there wouldn't be something. So the I'd book you laugh laughed at. at. Well, oh my god, what a complete Ashling! Really made me laugh, and I was in Sri Lanka when I read it, and I think that's what made me laugh so much. I was deep in this steeped, deeped, deeped in Indian culture, deeped. <laughs> <laughs> I was steeped in sort of Sri Lankan, you know, trying to get away from Ireland. But what'll I read now? Oh, my God. What a complete Ashley. And there they were getting on the bus to go down the country. And it just seemed to be extra funny because I was out there. And I think they changed the mold a bit. I hadn't really read a book like that before. I also read recently, um, This Is Gonna Hurt, if you haven't read that, uh, Adam Kay, who made a stand-up show out of it. He was a junior doctor in the NHS in the UK and and then trained and became a surgeon and he wrote a book about his 10 years of experience in the hospital, which is very funny. The comedian that you always laugh at? Um, Tommy Tiernan is probably... I would say every time I've wanted to give up stand-up comedy, I would go to see Tommy and think, okay. I'll, I'll really? Yeah, he's he's the person who always uh, sort of reinforces my belief in what it is. I think it's because he's a storyteller and yeah. that's what I do. And I mean, it's exactly the same reason I also love Owen O'Neill. Owen is very much in the tradition of storytelling and long yarns and... Uh, Owen actually makes people cry in his too because he, he, he you know, I guess their one man show is more than just stand up. Um, I would say those two people have been the biggest influence on my stand up. And finally, dear Joe Kane, your worst joke. Is that mean the worst joke I've ever heard? Or the, like uh, one that you use as a party piece that's a terrible joke? Oh, yeah, I would never tell a terrible joke. <laughs> But I, I have a million jokes in my head because obviously okay, on, I have us. the jokes of other comedians, but I have to credit those. Yeah, do, do that then. I mean, Kevin Gildee, to quote him again, he, he has a joke. I bet you'll have to cut this. But I'll give you a second option. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin's got this mixture of Irish English accent because he kind of was born in Manchester and ended up in Sligo. So he sort of goes from English into Irish, which makes me howl anyway. But he goes, uh, I was on a train with some blind people. Uh, they were playing I hear with my little ear. <laughs> so you see, we're going to get in trouble for that now. We won't. Uh, I don't think we will because blind people are famous for their absolutely brilliant sense of humour. <laughs> uh, you know, Mark Doherty, um, if you touch an electric fence on purpose, oh, does it still count as a shock? You say, but they're they're good. They're jokes. very they're, good. They're good jokes. They're, but yeah. they're kind of bad jokes. But they're they're very they're good bad jokes. jokes. <laughs> Deirdre O'Kane, thank you so much for sharing the laughs of your life. A pleasure, a pleasure. Got my brain working. I'll go away and write some jokes. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Darren. Thank you for listening to the laughs of your life. I hope you enjoyed it. If there's anyone you'd like to hear from, get in touch. Tweet me at Theron Garrity. Don't forget to like, subscribe, rate, review and all those other things. This podcast is recorded in collaborative studios. <laughs>